This is Mike Evans, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap here with Byron Lambert, who is winding down the RosterWatch.com training camp tour as teams are getting out of the training camp phase and more into the pre-week one phase. Football is here. Hallelujah. Uh, We have a ton of stuff to get to, but first, and just a quick reminder, all of our pro content you can get with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com. That includes the preseason DFS cheat sheets, all of the DFS stuff for in-season, but most importantly, the in-season content uh, after you draft your um, awesome team using the three-step draft cheat sheet, which is the magical sheet of paper available for basically every scoring format over at rosterwatch.com we're going to help you through your entire season with the waiver wire cheat sheet with the waiver wire podcasts with the trade cast weekly with the dfs cheat sheets the vegas tool the matchup tool the snap counts the touches the targets trash man's fantasy fallout touchdown dependency there's just so much every single week we're going to make sure you get your optimal lineup in there and that you continue building an absolute monster team through your fantasy football playoffs Uh, You can go to rosterwatch.com backslash success to read testimonials from other winning players. Also, if you don't have the the minimal chicken scratch, pocket scraps that it costs to be a pro member at rosterwatch.com, which is the best value in all of fantasy sports uh, it's just less than a less than a kind of expensive cup of coffee <laughs> to to join uh, or a craft you can, beer yeah or definitely cheaper than a craft beer uh you can you can go on apple podcasts give us a five-star rating and review we're almost to 400 reviews now make sure you leave your twitter handle or your instagram handle whenever you do uh you'll be entered into a contest where byron and i'll select a handful of you guys to give free pro memberships for one whole year. So get on that, pause the podcast right now, go and give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, and you could be a lucky winner of a Roster Watch pro membership. And if you already have a pro membership, just go give us a rating and review anyway. How about your boys? Okay, uh, with all that um, housekeeping out of the way, Byron, we got a bunch to get to since the, we were last on the pod. You've been to basically all through the a- NFC South, with, ex- with the exception of the New Orleans Saints, and as well as the Miami Dolphins, um, that is the Panthers, the Falcons, the Bucks, and the aforementioned Miami Dolphins. Let's just start out with the Panthers, because all anybody's talked about all summer long within the fantasy industry seemingly has been Curtis Samuel. <laughs> what is your takeaway with this receiving core? I'm just going to run down my entire set of notes here, beginning with Cam Newton. Everybody in Carolina agrees that Cam Newton's lost some arm strength. I thought he looked pretty good out there in terms of just getting the ball out on time and accuracy with the receivers in time and rhythm. 
he says he's made up for the lack of arm strength in just sheer experience and anticipation at this point. And when we say lack of arm strength, it just means he's not bombing it, you know, 60, 70 yards down the field anymore, maybe drilling it quite as hard, 40, 50. He's, he's still, you know, they're still throwing it down the field to guys like DJ Moore and, as you mentioned, Curtis Samuel. So when it comes to those guys, I was really surprised to talk to DJ Moore. Uh, maybe you can drop the interview here, Alex, but – you know, the big takeaway from that interview was that DJ Moore, he, he didn't really proclaim that he was the wide receiver one on this team. And most of these alpha dog wide receivers would do this. He said there's not a lead guy. So I thought that was kind of concerning given the fact that he's being drafted far, you know, before Curtis Samuel, who, look, and DJ Moore, by all accounts, has had a solid to terrific training camp. For the, for, the sake of, for, the, for, the, for the sake of context, I say let's let's just let's let's drop the DJ Moore interview right here. Byron Lambert here with Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore. DJ, what sticks out to you so far about this year's training camp? Uh, how hot it is uh, today. We just had a, a hot practice, and uh, but in honesty, uh, how how well the offense is clicking and uh, seeing the defense being able to. Uh, just get to the ball as fast as they are. It's just like both sides is just coming together, and it's going to be special. And where do you feel that you've improved the most this offseason? Uh, route running, I would say, because uh, I have a better understanding of the playbook and uh, able to get it out uh, in and out of routes uh, because I know where I'm going supposed to be at. Well, that raises a good point. What is it that Norv Turner emphasizes with his wide receivers? What does he expect out of his lead guy? Uh... I don't know if we got a lead guy. Uh, all three of us, me, Curtis, and Jay Wright, we all, they all expect different things out of us. So on a certain play, you never know who's going to be the number one receiver to get the ball. So you just always got to be on your toes and ready to go. Okay, so we heard what he said, and yes, he did say. I mean, he, but he was even mentioned Jarius Wright sometimes was going to be the lead dog. That makes no sense to me. It's just Curtis Samuel, if you, you can literally go look on, on Google for reviews about Curtis Samuel. And, I mean, there was a tweet that somebody had earlier. I wish I remember who it was, but maybe it was Josh Norris or one of those guys over at Roto World. Sorry, I I, I can't remember the exact tweet. But he said, like, I was literally looking for anything that was not positive on Curtis Samuel. And even the Buffalo Bills writers, who I believe are there in town for joint practices with the Panthers this week, are saying that just he's been magnificent to watch. <laughs> they just can't believe his foot. Like, you can't hear one bad thing about the guy. I, I think these ADPs are starting to converge a little bit. Well, they should be. So as I mentioned, DJ Moore, by all accounts, had a, had a, you know, a solid to terrific training camp. It's just at every turn, it's been Curtis Samuel who's been the subject of all the acclaim because he's had what everybody characterizes as, like you said, magnificent or outstanding you know, excellent training camp. And the thing that really caught my eye was how he out-targeted DJ Moore in the practices that I was there for. And, you know, I poked around with the local beat writers and they said, like, it's been like that the entire training camp. And so their ADP should be converged at this point. If I had to choose between the two, especially in PPR, I just want Curtis Samuel straight up. He looked very good as a route runner. You know, this bodes well for guys like, uh, you know, the, the Paris Campbells of the world and the Terry McLaurins of the world coming out of the Ohio State, you know, and hopefully those guys can make the same transition just on another note. But I will say, Alex, the Jarius Wright thing actually does make some sense when 
I mean, if, if you look into it, so, I mean, it, the, he, there's three starting receivers, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Jarius Wright. They're going to be in three wide receiver sets relatively often. And DJ Moore is essentially saying this is a wide receiver by committee. So it is a three-way committee. I mean, Jarius Wright's going to be at the bottom of that committee. But what Moore is saying is it can be any guy any week. And to me, that makes – we'll see if that turns out to be true. But that's what he was, you know, putting forth. And so, you know, unless he's just totally making something up there, I can kind of see from the construction of that wide receiver group and with the fact that there's nobody that's as well as Samuel's played, there's still not, you know, just an absolute alpha lead dog out there. He just looks like he's, you know, a, a, you know, a, a pro bowler quite yet, you know. It's not, not you know, or a t- all pro, you know, even better than a pro bowler. So... That's what Moore is saying. It makes a little bit of sense. What does that mean? I think it means Jarius Wright is like a potential trash play at any time this season, especially maybe in PPR. It's nothing to write home about, but a guy to be aware of. And then, like you said, I mean, at this point, Curtis Samuel, he deserves to be drafted in front of DJ Moore, in my opinion. So those ADPs should be converging. If they're not converging, you should just be waiting on Curtis Samuel or maybe instead reaching of going after GH, DJ Moore or, or reaching a little bit because he, yeah. he, he does look like he's in store for a really nice season. I mean, at, at very least, he's going to be a solid fantasy asset to have on your roster that you don't mind putting in the lineup any week. And he's certainly got potential to go really big. I mean, Curtis Samuel looked amazing because he was running routes of all varieties catching the ball all over the field, short with run after the catch, but also just vertical and then explosive enough to get up with some catch radius and make some big plays, tough catches. You know, it was it was really, really impressive uh, for Curtis Samuel, Alex. How much do you think his ADP has moved up in, in since the beginning of August? I know the answer. I'm just I asking mean, what, you how many three, spots. Two, three rounds? He was at, he was at his ADP was at 120 on August 1st. His ADP right now consensus ADP on Fantasy Pros is 103. So one and a half rounds of, of um, moving up there for Curtis Samuel. But still going still going in the eighth round right now, mid eighth round. We are reaching a little bit on him and getting him more in the seventh. And look uh, on the cheat sheets, you can go download them, you can use them. But DJ Moore is basically in a spot where we were getting a lot of him. I was high on him coming into this year, but after hearing all the reports, this is why this is why we go out and go to these training camps. We need to make sure, like half of these, like we don't be, we don't believe half of these BS reports half the time. It's usually fake news, and and it's just it's pseudo events. It's these writers needing something to write about, and and getting way too consumed in their own team and projecting expectations on their own team that aren't even reasonable because within their purview, it's just this one entity and this one group that they're analyzing, right? Byron that has been to 10 of these things so far. He goes out there and says this about Curtis Samuel. We take into account what we already know about Curtis Samuel, about just how fast he is, the kind of athlete he is. I mean, Curtis Samuel was in that same, was in that same draft class as John Ross and had John Ross not run fast enough to win that Adidas Island or whatever it was with the gold cleats. It would have been Curtis Samuel that we were talking. I mean, Curtis Samuel ran a 4-3-1. He has, he has game-breaking ability with his straight-line speed. And if he's running this well in routes, he's getting targeted this much, that guy's a big play waiting to happen. So we're getting aggressive on Curtis Samuel and, and getting a little bit more hands off of DJ Morse because it doesn't make any sense to pay 
you know, premium price for DJ Moore whenever it seems like Curtis Samuel would be the guy that you know, we're kind of edging towards taking in a vacuum. And it hurts me badly for the bet that I have with one of our pro members and a, a, the, a member of the Cockamamie Business League, Alan Seslowski. That guy came on the serious show the other day, and we had a bet for, I think it was two or three Jersey Mike sandwiches. And then if I win and then if he win, I, I have to go and be a guest on their podcast but he just said he wanted Curtis Samuel straight up, and he didn't even want any odds. That was a that was a prescient prescient move by that guy, and it's turning out to turning out to be that I wish I wasn't on the DJ Moore side of that one. What about uh, what about backups to Christian McCaffrey? Does he have a to, 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 does he have a handcuff? And Curtis Artis Payne is the backup right now. Cur- Curtis Artis Payne. That sounds like a real dirt ball. <laughs> Cameron, Cameron Artis Payne. <laughs> yeah. You got to mix up with you. You got to mix up with Curtis Painter. <laughs> you know, there are a dime a dozen those guys, right? Cameron <laughs> Artis Payne is the backup for Christian McCaffrey right now. So, uh, and it isn't Jordan Scarlett. You don't think it'll be Jordan Scarlett eventually? I think it will be eventually, but right now, Cameron Artis Payne is the backup for Christian McCaffrey. So that's just what's going on to to your point though the reports coming out about jordan scarlett were better than expected even though he was out a bit there with i believe it was a tweak tweak back all the reports actually counter to what what most scouting profiles had on him coming out of florida were that scarlett not only was having a pretty decent camp but he was showing up really well on third down and pass blocking in and pass receiving which was a you know huge surprise for anybody in the scouting community to find out about so if in fact that is true he does become a much more potential enticing handcuff to McCaffrey and I think long term maybe has the capability of that being that player that Ron Rivera has talked about all season that they didn't really do anything about for this year but maybe in dynasty you know a year two years down the road you could see if Scarlett keeps on the trajectory becoming a you know a part of the rotation there you know but they don't need that right now because dude christian mccaffrey looks unbelievably fucking sick dude he he looks like one of the sickest players in the entire league he certainly pops off right with say somebody like a julio jones as the most elite players that i saw while i was out on tour i mean not only is he it reminds me of what dave gettleman said that christian mccaffrey was the best inside the box runner that he'd scouted since curtis martin and everybody loves to make fun of dave gettleman but boy i saw i saw a player who was looking really really good between the tackles and then doing everything else you always expect of him we talked about curtis samuel i mean truthfully Christian McCaffrey is probably the best receiver on the team. That's still pretty evident. And he, so he's getting action all over the place in every imaginable way. And when Cameron Artis Payne is the main guy to back you up, there's, there's no relief in sight for Christian McCaffrey. It's going to be a monster, monster workload. One thing I noticed about him after having seen him live before, you know, his legs look like absolute tree trunks this time when I got up next to him. So that guy really has done some bulking up and gotten a little bit of this second NFL puberty. And to me, a guy who looks like he can handle the load. So at this point, I'm very, very comfortable with Christian McCaffrey at the top of my board, even in standard formats. What about you? You mentioned it was kind of surprising to me that you mentioned Greg Olson looks like he's more than just a mummified corpse of himself. Should we be considering him if we kind of fall out of the, 
kind of the big, I guess what, the big six of tight ends. If you throw in Jared Cook, you know, you have the you have the, the big three at the top, and then you have the middle three that I consider of Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, and O.J. Howard. You can probably put maybe a seventh with uh, Jared Cook. If, if you can't get any of those guys and you're having to really reach at the end, you're looking at these, you know, Mark Andrews or, you know, Jack Doyle or one of these players. Would you be comfortable maybe taking Greg Olson there? I'd rather have Olson than Doyle. I think he slots in pretty favorably with the Mark Andrews. You know, I know a lot of people are getting very hyped up about Jordan Reed right now. I'm not sure how you might want to reconcile that just because of potential upside there but yeah greg olson you know we'll see if he can maintain the health as it's been the foot a couple times in a row for him moving really well while i was out there by all accounts totally healthy ian thomas nowhere in the rearview mirror for you know any substantial share of the of the targets of the load the snap count there i mean greg olson looks like a very entrenched piece of this offense and still maybe one of cam's favorite targets out there so you know i don't he's obviously not the player that he was so he doesn't have that kind of upside but when you look at it they don't have a single other receiver on their roster with his size or catch radius so especially with cam maybe starting to play a little more of the intermediate game there's 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 a lot of evidence here that Greg Olson really is somebody that we should be aware of at the end of our drafts. And yeah, Alex, he's right in the mix with some of those guys for me at this point. And you know, those adjustments are coming on uh, the next version of the cheat sheet for sure. Yeah. All, all versions of the cheat sheet get updates at least, you know, once or twice weekly. I've, I've probably updated the PPR sheet three times already this week was just all the, all the news coming in and some of these injuries. Um, let's move on to the next team. How about we go to the Falcons? Uh, I don't know. I asked you about Curtis Samuel last time, and you just said, well, I'm just going to give you my fucking notebook. So how about you just start where, where you want to start with, with the Falcons? By the way, Will Greer has mostly stunk it up at Panthers camp. I definitely made sure to snoop around on that one. <laughs> he, made, he made sure to rub it in the faces of everybody that's argued with us on Twitter. It's just it's, it's so crazy. People will come on Twitter and call you a cockamamie bastard for saying all this stuff during the draft process and say you don't know shit and blah, blah. And where, where, where are they when the guy's not looking that great to start? Well, They'll come they, Them and these assholes, like old takes, expo- these fucking old takes exposed, fuck that guy for one. Like, they're going to come, they, 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 they come back cheering and jeering and doing everything they can five years six years later whenever you got something wrong but every single time you got something right they just crawl crawl back in their holes then realize it's part of our business to try and prognosticate on this stuff most of the time we're right well it's turned into a convenient strategy for draft twitter when the when the season starts they're nowhere to be found like you said and then the last but not least there before i move (laughs) over to atlanta alex uh elijah holyfield on the fringe for making the Panthers roster. I know that folks saw he had the two touchdowns in preseason week one. From what I understand, he athletically he's looked like a guy that belongs, or at least, you know, you know he fits out there on, on the field, at least with the backups. Uh, but there's been mistakes and inconsistency, apparently a lot of mental mistakes and things of that nature. So, He's very much uh, on the bubble. I know some folks were curious what was happening with him after he kind of reared his head in preseason week one. They're, they're saying, though, that he very well could get cut 
and then hopefully slid to the uh, practice squad. What about the Falcons? On to the Falcons. The big news there was Calvin Ridley had been out of practice for a while there with a hamstring. I was actually back on his first day to return, and, man, that kid looks not only slick and slippery as can be uh, off the line and against the DBs, just his route running, his separation. Boy, he's really an explosive player that I mean, his, he jumped. It looked like he had springs in his feet when he made some of these catches and really, really nice hands there too. So word inside the building about Calvin Ridley is he's a pro's pro. Um, that one interesting thing I picked up was that they – they took away from last year that Calvin Ridley was maybe overexerting himself during the week of practice. Like I said, a pro's pro, like staying afterwards and working a lot extra and things of this nature. And apparently they came to the conclusion that he was uh, somewhat overexerted by the time Sundays were rolling around. So they're looking to actually monitor his practice workload a little bit more this year, which makes sense, right? We've done the stuff with catapult and the stuff with zebra. That's what all these teams have this technology for. And every one of these athletes and humans is, is a little bit different. And so that's what they do with these monitors and these analytics. Now with these guys is try to, to manage these workloads. So that'll be interesting to see if it pays off. I mean, I see an awesome young receiver. That's totally ascending. Matt Ryan still looks good. You know, we don't have a lot of faith in Muhammad Sanu. You know, if you told me that Calvin Ridley was going to have a thousand yard, you know, nine touchdown year this year, I'd say that's yeah, probably a little bit on the like optimistic, you know, side of his range of outcomes. But that's totally plausible. Uh, I'd say the only thing to, you know, take into consideration is that when I poked around with the local media there, you know, who was all very, uh, you know giving out praise on Ridley. I said, so that means like he's the clear cut number two wide receiver on this team now. Right. And they were kind of like, you know, it's, it's still kind of like between him and Muhammad Sanu, who the number two is. So it sounds like maybe a two, a two B situation. You know, the difference is Ridley's the guy with all the upside, especially in a single game situation where we want guys who can help win us the week. Right. On the other hand, Mohamed Sanu is basically free for at the end at the end of your draft. So maybe like the aforementioned Jarius Wright or you know some of these other folks, the Brashad Perrimans will get to. He's somebody that should at least be like on your waiver wire watch list if you're in a pinch, you know, during the season. And then Julio Jones, man, I, I just got done, you know, watching Mike Evans dominate these Dolphins DBs for two days and look like an absolute freak and monster, but. Just one of my big takeaways, a lot like Christian McCaffrey, is that when you see a Julio Jones on the field, man, it's just a different type of animal, even from a Mike Evans. You know, his, he's just he, – the way that guy moves, it's, uh, it, it is like a true, uh, a, tr- a true freak. And then last thing from Falcons camp, Alex, is that I asked Dan Quinn about um, Devontae Freeman – and what his expectations were for Freeman, the season he envisions him having. And he said Devontae Freeman is one of the rare guys that actually has come back measurably stronger from the injury that he had last year. Um, And he's cutting more violent. I saw that on the field. I thought Devontae Freeman looked really, really freaking good. He looked like a, like maybe like a little 
naturally aspirated Porsche 911 out there. I mean, he's really, 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 really nice looking. You know, uh, but again, the word in the building is that Devonte, as good as he looks, and he's in a much clearer lead role situation with the guys behind him this year than Tevin Coleman in the past. Who, you know, none of these guys are in on the roster behind Freeman are in the same league with a player like Tevin Coleman at this point. So he is the clear lead dog, but the team is still very conscious that they do need to monitor Devonte Freeman's workload. He's not a guy that you can overwork for the entire season or he will wear down. So I kind of left Atlanta thinking that my expectation expectation for Freeman is maybe that 18 touch a game mark. You know, I like him on a, you know, a, a half a notch higher than maybe the Mark Ingrams of the world. And um, who I also saw out on this training camp tour. And then, you know, we were able to confirm all the speculation and reports we've seen coming in elsewhere, trickling in elsewhere over the course of training camp season. And, you know, that is that it's very unclear, you know, if that Ito Smith is really the backup you want to own to Devontae Freeman. That, that thing has devolved into a running back by committee behind Freeman. You get a little bit of mixed signals because Ito Smith had a strong year last year and they had some praise for him in the offseason. And he is still the guy who takes, from what I saw, this, the, the early snaps with the second team right behind Freeman. You know, But the, uh, the word is, is that Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator, prefers a larger running back. And that's why Brian Hill has been getting some preference here. So he's definitely going to factor in. And then, you know, when I asked Dan Quinn to, you know, his evaluation of the players behind Freeman, you know, he went out of his way to bring up Brian Hill and Quadri Allison, specifically Allison on the outside, Hill on the inside, and before he even thought to mention uh, Ito Smith and Ken- Kenyon Barner also in that mix. I'm sure they'll probably keep all of those guys. So I don't think there is a handcuff not worth wasting our time with uh, that on Devontae Freeman this year. I think, you know, that risk with Freeman is you just got to take that built in with his current ADP. I think that with the uh, – when, whenever we talk about preseason hype, guys, as we transition here to the Bucks, you know, it, they come from the NFC South. They're both wide receivers. They're both seemingly number two wide receivers on their team, or at least that's the way they were viewed coming into camp. I think in the case of Chris Godwin – now that's certainly still still the case. Before we get into the uh, Bucks portion, let's drop your interview with the young Mr. Chris Godwin. Byron Lambert here with Bucks wide receiver Chris Godwin. Chris, what stands out to you about this training camp so far? Um, I think the biggest thing from this training camp is, uh, I, I guess, it's been the, the competition. Um, I think both sides are really be getting out there. You know, offense has had its days, defense have had its days, and I think I think you need that if you're going to be a really competitive team. What are your impressions of playing for Coach Arians so far? Um, it's, it's been really fun. You know, obviously, um, it brings a new offense. Um, and, and, and while it has its challenges, I think we, we can really see the, the bright side of the offense. You know, we can see the explosive plays both in a run and pass game. You know, so it's, it just takes everybody buying in to really kind of, you know, commit to, to the mission that we're after. Well, you mentioned an Arians offense. What are the hallmarks of this offense? What do you guys expect to hang your hat on this season? Oh, man, we just got to be a physical team. Um, I, I think if we can go out and just, and just be a really physical team, kind of bow up and, you know, and, and put our feet in the ground, man, I, I, I think we're really like where we start off each game. Well, Chris, you look like a physical guy. My last question for you here is if you were a defensive back and you were scouting yourself, 
what would you mo- be most concerned with if you were have to match up against yourself? Um, I mean, just the, I, I would say the physicality, man. Um, just uh, recognizing that that I'm a guy that can, you know, use his body, you know, at, at the last second to adjust and, and make plays and kind of fight with, with more physical guys. I, I think that's something to kind of worry about. Well, there you go. Sounds like a nice enough kid. Certainly, uh, certainly and I think the physicality that he talked about being part of his game is something that um, – Something that we noticed in our in our college evaluation of him, the way that he was able to go up for those contested catches, the way that he had some of that um, some of that real junkyard dog to him. The question was, and I've talked about this a lot, you know, recently, but the question was with him when I went back and looked at my scouting reports. It was funny. I said like. I love everything about this guy's game. I just I just worry about his straight line speed. And then of course he goes to the combine and turns in a, a combine performance that you know all of analytics twitter and and that crowd you know just fawned over and and went went, went crazy over so you put it all together there's pro- probably gonna be a prospect that was going to do something seeming like he's coming into his own at this point i mean some of those clips that i've seen on twitter just some amazing catches from him i know you'll probably talk about godwin but, but feel free to start wherever you want with uh with, with the t- with the Tampa bay bucks well godwin really was impressive and like you said, it's that physicality that maybe maybe not everybody is so aware of. I mean, almost like a remember like the Brandon Lloyds or the Michael Crabtrees. I mean, he's a much more he's a much better route runner, you know, or, or shiftier, more nifty route runner than maybe like a Crabtree. But the way he bodies guys kind of with what almost looks like broad shoulders and long arms and some physicality. It's a really interesting player. I can't think of many guys that he reminds me of. But Anthony Miller reminded me of him a little bit, but Anthony Miller's smaller. Yeah, you know, Anthony smaller. Miller had that, had that same kind of dog to him, but it's like he he wasn't as effective with it as as, as Godwin was. But you just see a little magician out there who's very nifty, but also very physical, and it's a unique combination. A great route runner, explosive. Had a few drops, but overall, you know, Alex has said we've seen the highlight reel catches. Overall, I mean, certainly a very capable receiver. Um, I did keep an eye on it for you, Alex. I mean, he absolutely definitively is that Bruce Arian slot receiver that you're talking about. So what will happen is, you know, they'll run the three wide receivers out for Shad Perriman, uh, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin, and Godwin will kick down into the slot. Or even if they um, – even if they go two wide receivers, sometimes they'll – well, Godwin almost always stays in on two wide receivers, so at that point he kicks out sometimes the light flanker. But they'll, they'll, they'll flex the tight end out and even in two wide receiver set and kick him inside the tight end kind of more from like a slot-type position there. So overall it is that, going to be – That's gold, oh, man. That's the Larry Fitzgerald and the Heinz Ward and others. That's, a, that's, a, that's gold. The 2019 Rosterwatch Cheat Sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com. The revolutionary cheat sheet to change fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com. Winning fantasy football players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Rosterwatch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow the three simple rules. That's it, three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet, an expert quality draft, is guaranteed. It's magical, it's mystical, it's mythical! The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet, only at rosterwatch.com. Overall, there should be a lot of snaps out of the slot for Chris Godwin this year. However, he did show his capability on the outside and will play some there in two wide receiver sets. So 
Uh, I think with Chris Godwin, you know for sure you're getting a really good young player on what should be a pretty nice fantasy offense. And, uh, you know, you're getting you're getting a good asset there in return for where you're picking him. You're not necessarily getting a ton of value. I think a lot of that is kind of baked into his ADP at this point. But if you want Godwin or if that's who the highest guy is, you know, when, when it's your turn, you should have no remorse about selecting Chris Godwin. Now, the only thing we may have to do then is – We have to monitor that versus the Mike Evans exposure because Mike Evans looked so damn good that I want to keep getting a lot of Mike Evans who maybe has a little more value baked into his ADP, which in my opinion is slightly depressed even still, you know, currently at this point. And so you're not going to want to roster them both. I'm happy with exposure to to either of them, but folks forget Mike Evans, 1500 yards last year, only the eight touchdowns. I mean, I saw a guy that just absolutely dominated and took every Dolphins cornerback and defensive back to school for two days of practice. And it's the same old beastly Mike Evans we've always seen and scouted. And, I mean, that guy looks awesome. You're getting an excellent fantasy player if you're getting Mike Evans. And if, if you knew, if you found out he finished top three or top five uh, receiver in the league, you wouldn't be surprised at all. And, I mean, he's, he's certainly locked in as, you know, a – a really, really solid high-end wide receiver one, no matter how you slice it, Alex. You can get him at the 2-3 turn, whereas you're having to take Chris Godwin right now basically in the fourth round. Um, and in some experts' drafts and some bigger drafts, you'll see Godwin, you know. I mean, I had Siege on the Sirius XM show, and he said that, you know, in all of his best ball drafts, he's just reaching up and taking Godwin in the third so I think that we're going to see Godwin eventually kind of get mid-fourth-round ADP, whereas Mike Evans is, is second-slash-third-round ADP. I think you're right that we'll need to you know figure out how to kind of diversify between those two players and make sure that the, the um, make sure the cheat sheets aren't doubling up exposure to those guys, but making sure that we're somehow getting exposure to both, and there's ways that we can do that through various tricks of uh, construction that we've well, learned I, over the years. Alex, one other reason I'm bullish on Mike Evans is that with – even with all these other targets, talented targets, and all these other players that looked good out there for the Buccaneers, Mike Evans still somehow managed to emerge as the clear lead dog. Well, I mean, look how much they paid him. It's like, and that means something in the locker room, and it means something with the team. And it's like the, he's he's a he, he's he's an elite wide receiver in the NFL, and fantasy players don't like him because his yards after catch is no good, his efficiency is no good. They think he's a compiler, and that's you know that's the narrative on him. We've been watching Mike Evans since he was a power forward back at Galveston Ball. I mean, he's he's a he's a great player. So I'm not going to let any of that dissuade me, especially when I can get him right now with the two three turns. It's, 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 it's too late for Mike Evans. Um, what That's the hell just, is a compiler, by the way? I love a guy who's going to compile all the way to the bank for my fantasy stats, man. I mean, I get, I, I get the critique, but it's like, I mean, at some point. And do you, you know what folks need to remember is a story about Mike Evans when he used to go in at halftime in college as like a freshman and grab his offensive lineman by the face mask and shake those guys down like little, <laughs> yeah. like, like little puppy dogs. Yeah. No, man, he's a he's he's a he's he, he's a beast, dude. Um, Ronald Jones still sucks, and it looks like Peyton Barber is just a jag, but he's better than Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones does not suck, and he's trending in the right direction. And <laughs> I think we still remains to be seen exactly what he has in store for us. 
Um, you know, when guys are splitting that many reps, they're probably not always, that good when you're splitting you that many reps with Peyton that's, Barber. That's, that's a fair thing to say as well, but it also makes it a little tougher to evaluate. And these running backs are always a little bit more difficult to evaluate until you get them into the live game setting with the real, real hitting uh, going on in the first place. You know, practice is always a little tougher place to evaluate the running backs. But, yeah, I mean, if you just look at what was going on at practice, I think you see Ronald Jones is an improved player. He was involved in the passing game. He caught the ball very, very well. He rotated uh, with the ones, you know, you know, consistently he was in there. And I think, his, you know, he showed some nifty feet, a little bit of juice in the open field for sure. So I, you like what you're seeing out of Ronald Jones, and I don't want to totally discount what upside he still may have. But, like, but to your point, Alex, he's not just – you know, running away with the job. And that could be a little circumstantial, just how teams want to play. But look, Bruce Arians, when he had a David Johnson, he let him run away with the job, right? So I think he recognizes he doesn't have that here. And so with Peyton Barber, you're seeing him rotate with the ones basically just as much. For me, it was very difficult to tell, like, one from the other. It's a 1A, 1B scenario. Like I said, Ronald Jones, probably a little more juice in the open field, but Peyton Barber, the more sturdy, compact kind of, not a mighty mouse, because I don't want to understell, I and mean, he's bigger than that, but that's a little more how he's built. And so he looked really effective down in the red zone and around the goal line and in short yardage. Also more effective in pass protection, which is going to be a big deal as far as, you know, how much each of these guys play. So really at this point, there's an inexplicable chasm in ADP between Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber. So circumstantially, I think I have to come almost all the way off Ronald Jones at this point. I, I liked him enough coming out of USC. I really liked his tape. He had great feet. It's not necessarily translating to a transcendent you know, NFL athleticism amongst these men. So I still don't mind a few shares, but I think circumstantially you look at it, I come out of this practice saying, well, a thousand percent, I want my guy Kalen Balage over Ronald Jones. And at this point, if I'm going to be logical, I got to be interested in a little bit of Peyton Barber late. If I'm interested in any of these running backs on the Buccaneers at all, that's probably the direction a wise man, you know, would lean at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I had to get I had to get Peyton Barber up on the sheet a little bit, and the the, the time finally came, Byron, where it's like people are coming around on Kalen Balage. Do, do do you have anything more on the Bucks before we kind of move on to the? I mean, it's a good transition here with Balage, maybe to, to talk about the the, the Dolphins. No, it's a good. That's a great transition. Just OJ Howard sort of popping in the red zone yesterday on my second day at practice, and uh, I think he continues to be a you know maybe overpriced in our drafts, but if he slides a, a decent quasi elite tight end option, really one thing to think about with OJ Howard is he's a really like nice, good guy, and he's super big. So strikes me as a good locker room dude if that matters to you at all. And then Andre Ellington. Well, I think he will have a fractional role as some distant number three in that rotation at various points throughout the season. Anyways, on to Miami and to Kalen Balage. Yeah, and let's just let's just go ahead and drop in your interview with him. Byron Lambert here with Dolphins running back Kalen Balage. Kalen, how is camp treating you so far? Uh, it's been real good. You know, obviously we're under a new a new regime and just trying to get out there and be, become comfortable in the offense and as a team with Coach Flores. I saw you running with the ones a lot today. What adjustments have you had to make this offseason? 
I mean, it's not necessarily adjustments. It's just getting better overall as a player, um, mentally, physically, you know, in every way, you know, possible to, to be able to help the team. I know one thing is a lot of folks are really excited about your three-down capability. You've always been a good blocker, a good receiver out of the backfield. You broke some big plays up the middle today. Uh, a couple of drops. What do you have to say about those? drop is a drop we're out here playing football i'm not really too worried about it you got a short memory well that's great news and then kaylin i guess for the dolphins fans that are you know excited about this season what do you have in store for them this season what type of year do you envision having i just want to win football games i'm not worried about individual stats or any of that i just want to go out there and win well there you go kaylin balage now that Kenyon drake looks like he's going to be out for the remainder of uh training camp and who knows there's been some reports that are even a little bit more dubious that they're not exactly sure when he's going to be coming back. Um, Kalen Balazs is going to get some run. His ADP is going to move up. As I mentioned, I finally had to move him a couple slots up on the cheat sheet because we were just not getting the exposure to him that we like at the end of these drafts. So a little bit of a little bit of a restructure there to make sure that we're still getting plenty of Kalen Balazs value here. I hope the value continues to exist. Uh, I thought that just listening to that interview, I thought that whenever you asked him about those drops that did he just give you a look like he wanted to murder you? Or like what? what it seemed like his it seemed like the tone of his voice changed a little bit once you asked about those drops. Yeah, I think he kind of did because he was. <laughs> I can tell, man. I he was tell. kind enough to have the interview with me, and I mean, Kalen Balazs is a guy I really like, but you know how it is, man. It's a mad scramble. You never know who you're getting coming off that field, and you just got to fire out some questions and. You know, most of the time I try to tee up some softballs, but dude, that was just one thing that really stuck out to me about the first day of practice was Kalen Balaj with two, I mean, egregiously bad drops on routine routes out of the backfield that I would have expected him to catch. You know, Kalen ninety to catch everything. He's ninety out of a, out of a hundred times. And then I was a little disappointed to see him re- repeat a very similar mistake and drop. You know, yesterday. So we have to bake that in for what it is. It's, you can't, not a whole lot of weight in that right now. I think it's, he's a guy you take late. So they're not perfect prospects. There's all, they all have flaws that could set every single one of them back in real life or in fantasy this year. So, you know, Caleb Blush, far from a, a perfect prospect. I think he was my number seven, number seven or eight, somewhere in the top 10 in most people's facts, uh, or at least in the roster watch rookie evaluations in 2018 coming out in that deep class but yeah so you know it does seem like maybe brian flora has has brought that patriot way in because kalen balage basically it was like talking to a wall and it was all belichickian answers right so i'm fine with that but you saw a guy in balage who very much especially with Drake completely out of the mix on day two, but even on day one, when Drake was practicing, it just felt like I saw a whole lot more Kalen Balaj with the first team. And it was Balaj who broke off like some really big plays. And the cool thing about his big plays are they don't only involve speed, but they involve power. So he's a big, fast, powerful back that has more chops between the tackles than maybe he's given credit for. I know people knocked his vision, but, you know, in my opinion, in certain blocking schemes, his vision is actually more than sufficient. I saw him practice. So, and also looked very powerful around the goal line and in the red zone and very versatile down there. And then, of course, even in lieu of the drops, it's very clear that there's a three down roll in store potentially for 
Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, I came away thinking that he's clearly the best running back on the Dolphins roster. I mean, this is something we already knew. We've been predicting this you just, for You just confused for, for me. You, said, you just said that there's a three-down rule in store for Kenyon Drake. Did you mean Balazs? For Balazs. I'm okay. sorry. For Balazs. Yeah, yeah. No, I just wanted to just make sure, just to clarify. For Balazs. But, uh, you know, this – this has been one of the most predictable predictable happenings of the entire off season, and it's just it's it's manifesting. It's like you like to say, it's happening, buddy, right, Alex? I mean, Kalen Balaz, we've been talking about this for a long time. I mean, so to me, it looks like his job to lose. I'm, it's pretty evident that he's the best back there. He's certainly got a head start over Kenyon Drake heading into the season now with the injury issue. And look, Drake is a guy they know they have to manage. He's constantly constantly hurt right so you know at this point i love getting kalen balage 100 percent exposure for free at the end of my drafts for i've been doing that since january in best ball or february you know and we've done it early in our redraft league so far you know but i've always said man eventually it's going to come to the point where you're going to have to understand that he's a better fantasy prospect this year than somebody like Tevin Coleman was the last two or three years past. And Tevin Coleman was always the guy that was going seventh, eighth, ninth round. So if that's where this heads with Bellage, I think ultimately I'm not going to have a hundred percent exposure. And I think there are some strength of schedule issues maybe early on in the season with the Dolphins backfield. I'll have to double check the running back strength, the schedule tool over at rosterwatch.com for that. Uh, but I, I remember seeing a little blip on the radar with the strength of schedule there with these dolphins backs. Um, so I, I think if, you know, and then if you wanted to make the argument that he even pushes forward to as high as somebody like Tevin Coleman this year, I don't want to get that bullish, but if that was your argument, I could live with it. So, and uh, where's Coleman going now? Five, six. So, if you told me you're getting Balazs anywhere between round eight and nine in the next couple of weeks, I'd say that's still fine if you really you're not want gonna, the guy. And you're not going to need to, though. You're not going to need to. You can get him. I mean, you can get him consistently around eleven or round twelve. So you know, I've seen him going in round ten a little bit on the standard and half point PPR side of things. Around eleven, still pretty often, but starting to creep into round ten. And I, I, I don't you expect this news about Kenyon Drake and all of this to? start to move the needle quite a bit as like real drafts take place Alex I think so especially considering that there's probably not I mean there isn't one other single Miami Dolphins player that we're interested in in fantasy is there no 